Welcome to this latest edition of the Maritime Podcast. My name's Marcus Hand, and I'm the editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. In this new episode of the Maritime in Minutes series, we will be taking a look back at some of the most important stories in shipping and maritime over the month of March. Clearly the single biggest story in shipping in the last month was the grounding of the 20,000 TU container ship ever given in the Suez Canal on 23rd March, blocking the key waterway for six days. The grounding put shipping in the international spotlight in a way not seen for decades with huge global media coverage of an industry that is normally little seen. This is how the BBC reported the casualty on the 25th of March. Now it's one of the world's most important shipping routes and it's blocked. A giant container ship ran aground in the Suez Canal after losing power. And at around 200,000 tonnes and over 400 metres long, the container, well, it's going to take some shifting. 50 ships a day normally pass through the canal, carrying 12% of the world's trade. So the pressure is really on to get her refloated. As it turned out, the grounded vessel was refloated after six days. And while much of the mainstream media has quickly moved on to other stories, for the industry, it leaves a large number of questions and concerns. While the Ever Given was refloated in six days, it was far from a certainty that the operation would be successful. And had the mega container ship required lightering of its cargo, the process would have taken several weeks with very limited equipment globally capable of such an operation. Insurers have warned for years of the difficulties involved with salvage operations for ultra-large container ships, and this latest casualty underscores these concerns. It also further exposed the fragility of an already stretched global supply chain, which has struggled to cope with the surge in demand in the second half of 2020. Even with the closure of the Suez Canal for just six days, hundreds of vessels were backed up, and major container lines such as MSC and Maersk were warning of knock-on disruptions that could last for months. This is not just scaremongering either, and on 30th March, Merce said it would be temporarily suspending high-paying spot shipment bookings from a large number of export ports, well beyond the core Asia-Europe trade that the Suez Canal connects. The grounding of the Ever Given may have dominated the headlines in the latter part of March, and it is easy to pass over some of the less dramatic but no less interesting events that happened earlier in the month. In early March, the world's second largest container line, MSC, held a media briefing online, something of a rarity in itself. During the briefing, Andre Simha, Global Chief Digital and Information Officer for MSC, explained how difficulties with paperwork caused by the COVID-19 pandemic had accelerated the use of the electronic bill of lading. The idea of a digital e-bill of lading has been around for the better part of 30 years, replacing large volumes of physical paperwork that have to be couriered around the world. Incredibly, however, the e-bill of lading is still at the pilot stage. The use of such digital documentation requires all parties to be on board, and the likes of MSC and the Digital Container Shipping Association continue to promote the acceptance of the concept to regulatory authorities in many different countries. The benefits of switching to an e-bill of lading are manifest. According to DCSA, of which Andre Simha is also chair, 50% adoption over the next 10 years could see container shipping saving some $4 billion annually. To put that number in perspective, it is four-fifths 
of the $5 billion sum, international shipping as a whole is looking to raise for decarbonisation R&D through a fund that was recently formally proposed to the International Maritime Organisation and described with some hyperbole as a moonshot. So, are we finally going to see the wide-scale adoption of the e-bill of lading? Well, here's what Andre Simmer had to say. I see this happening either relatively quickly, so I think within the next couple of years this needs to change completely, or we'll have to find another way. I think that in today's world, with the speed at which we want to do business, with the younger generation as well that's not as patient as you know us older chaps, it has to change. It has to change. The topic of alternative fuels to decarbonize shipping remained very much on the agenda in March, and there were concrete signs of both methanol and ammonia starting to gain traction. Major ship owner Eastern Pacific Shipping inked a memorandum of understanding with engine manufacturer MAN Energy Solutions and fertilizer and chemicals producer OCI to create a partnership that aims to develop methanol and ammonia as marine fuels for both retrofitted engines and new buildings. Under the partnership, existing vessels from Eastern Pacific Shipping's fleet will be selected to be retrofitted with MAN engines designed to run on methanol and ammonia, with fuel supplied by OCI. The first retrofitted vessel would also be chartered by OCI. In addition, EPS would order new buildings to be fitted with MAN engines, which would burn the same fuel types. Meanwhile, a mapping of zero-emission pilot and demonstration projects being undertaken in the shipping industry shows a major growth in interest in large ammonia-powered vessels, mirroring a general increase in interest around green ammonia as a potential fuel to decarbonize shipping. The Getting to Zero Coalition's updated mapping of zero-emission pilots and demonstration projects showed 10 new large ammonia projects, bringing the total to 14. The mapping exercise also revealed that the total number of projects working on zero-emission fuels and propulsion as well as bunkering and distribution of fuels for shipping had increased from 66 to 106. <music> Meanwhile, any concerns or uncertainty over future fuels or the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic had deterred the world's largest ship owners, the Greeks, were firmly put to bed in mid-March with the release of the latest figures for the Greek-controlled merchant fleet. For the 34th year running, the Greek Shipping Cooperation Committee presented a statistical rundown of the Greek-controlled fleet based on data provided by IHS Market. Compared with the previous year, the fleet had grown by 70 vessels. That is some 9.64 million deadweight tonnage, including 134 vessels of various types on order, with a deadweight tonnage of 17.8 million. While the carrying capacity is now at a record level, the fleet shipwise some 110 vessels short of the 4,148 units in 2018, but in tonnage terms, 8.5 million deadweight more. Overall, the Greek-owned fleet represents 7.1% of the world's fleet in terms of ships, 13.3% in terms of gross tonnage, and 15.8% in terms of deadweight tonnage. With that positive news on the growth of the Greek fleet, that is all we have time for on Maritime in Minutes this month. 
To keep up to date on all shipping and maritime news, visit seatrade-maritime.com and sign up for our newsletters. Thank you.